welcome back to the Out of the Cave podcast with Lisa Schlossberg. This is your girl, Lisa Schlossberg. How are you? How are you doing? Thank you for being here. Um, While I am traveling over these last few weeks, I hope you've been enjoying these interviews. And today I'm here again just to introduce um, today's interview. Today's interview is with another client of mine, um, ex-group member of mine, and current aftercare member of mine, uh, Catherine. Catherine is someone who found me through Nicole Sachs. You'll hear about her story, but I, as always, I'm really excited to share this interview with you because Catherine is someone who just really works through, continues showing up for, and I don't want to say effortlessly embodies, but but embodies in so many ways um, this work. And it's such a thrill of mine to have these conversations because we both get to reflect on the progress, the awakening, the awareness over the last year, year and a half that we have been working together. So without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Catherine. Okay. Hello. Hello, Catherine. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. I'm so excited. Me too. Me too. I'm really glad that you're here and I'm so grateful to have this time with you and to share all of your nuggets of wisdom with the world. Well, I just hope that just one person has to find something interesting, right? Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. So Catherine, so Catherine, I, I'm sure I have probably already said this in the intro to this, to this podcast episode, but Catherine, you did my group coaching program, uh, over a year ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we've been connected. We've stayed connected through the aftercare program. Um, but that's why I'm excited again to have you here because you've moved through this work with me. You are continuing to integrate this work into your life. And, and that's really the beginning of where you and I started. But so what I want to do is kind of rewind, you know, start from the beginning of your story and, okay. and then we'll just kind of, you know, go from there chronologically and see, see what comes up. Okay. Well, actually that wasn't the first time we worked together, but I'll back up anyway. Was, yeah. <laughs> so we, I actually, okay. So backing up, I met Lisa through the Nicole Sachs podcast. Yeah. Um, and then through the web, the Facebook page for Nicole, yeah. the cure for chronic pain, I saw an advertisement or a flyer for what was it called? Like a webinar? Yeah. It was like a workshop. Yeah. Um, that you were doing in like October of, I don't know, 2019. I don't know. I've lost track of the years in the pandemic. So, um, that was when we first met. And then when I had the chance to do the group coaching, I was super excited. So, so I, there's several layers of, of me through this whole thing. It started off with curable, but then there was a whole history of chronic pain before that. Right. But um, one of the super reasons I wanted to talk to you today is that I really see such a fit and connection and logic between what you and the group and we talk about and what Nicole Sachs talks about. So it's just a logical progression yeah. for me. Yeah. So. yeah. 
Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I remember you being in my workshop and see, and that was the beginning of our, our relationship really. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited that you said that because uh, one, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And I think there's a lot of important conversation to be had there, but I also love the way that you just use the word logical. Like it's just logical. And I am excited to kind of pick your brain about how you got to that point of, because to me, you are someone really like one foot in either door. There's like, you're very, you know, immersed in the TMS chronic pain world and Mm -hmm. that work and you get it so deeply. Mm -hmm. You're also someone who's been doing it around food and your relationship with eating and all of that stuff. So, right. Yeah. uh, Well, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about that lately because I know that I spent some time, say, let's say last spring saying, you know, I think that the the eating and the food issues are less of a priority than the pain issues. And then I was like, well, no, they're really one and the same. But what happens is with me at least, because I'm still healing my body, that the pain masks yes the food issues and yes. because we all need to eat yep. every day and so it's easy to just go on and and do your thing right. and not have to worry about it right because the pain is a deeper thing yes i totally hear you that what we're really talking about is in a lot of ways the overlap between chronic pain tms and what we'll call emotional eating is kind of a blanket term but I think what what's really cool, again, is that like you're saying, you, the person, are the common denominator. That's the way I always think about it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like on one hand, there's the chronic pain. And on the other hand, there's the relationship with food. And it really becomes, I think, as you progress through the work over time, you see more and more that what you're working with is the human. And Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. So Catherine, before we get to all of the knowledge and education and experience that you have now, I'm always curious in rewinding all the way to the beginning, because as far as uh, our relationship with food goes, we've been, as I like to say, in a relationship with food since before we were born. So Right. right, chronic pain sometimes starts earlier on, but it also sometimes comes later in life. But If you just start to reflect on and recall what food and eating, body image, your weight, you know, how did that play any kind of role in your life, let's say from zero to five, zero to 10, just pretty early on? So I am zero to five. I I can remember some things, but it's, I would say it's more from five to 10. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it, so I haven't said this yet, but I grew up with a morbidly obese mother. She gained and lost hundred pounds several times throughout my childhood up to like 18 or 20. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of what I remember are things that she was trying to teach me, which were very, as, as I said earlier, logical, they made sense, but right. I resented them. I've realized mm-hmm. I've resented them. So things like some of my earliest food memories were um, like stopping at a friend's house, walking back to school to pick them up, to walk to school and them finishing their lunch and having, they were having Oreos. And now this is so funny because 
I really don't even like Oreos. I don't, I don't buy them. I don't like them. But as a kid, I was like, I want the Oreos. Oh yeah. And we didn't have Oreos in our house. We didn't have dessert. Dessert was always a fruit, which I mean, it's all super awesome. But as a kid, you want, I want everything that everyone else has. So that was one thing. And I do remember, so a little older things like feeling out of control at family functions or buffet um, potluck type things where there was just food out. And I'm not, I haven't quite figured out why totally yet, but I do remember as a kid thinking, oh, well, I need to stop eating. So I don't know if someone said something because when I look back, I just looked through my um, photo album. And when I look back, there was plenty of times where I felt that my body was not the right shape or not the right size. Yeah. And when I look back now, I go, holy crap, like, look at me. Like, right. and, and it's good to look back. I, I've learned a lot from it. And in particular, I have this one picture. I went, sorry, touch my wire, went <laughs> to um, Hawaii twice as a young teenager with my friend and her family. My, I didn't have my parents or my brother with me. And I remember feeling awkward. Mm-hmm. Might just be awkward, but I remember like, you know, like sucking in my belly and whatever. And I have this one picture of memory of it, of the two of us walking down the beach one morning wearing our bikinis. And I was like, wow, like I had a nice little hot bod back then. <laughs> but I remember not feeling it. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of that in my background. Yeah. Um, And so that was a little older than 10. Most of my, I'm going to say issues, even though I know it's not issues. Yeah. Yeah. But most of my thoughts around food and eating really truly started when I started dating and I started dating relatively young long story, but I started dating my ex-husband and really didn't date anybody else. But a lot of my thoughts about food and eating came from him Mm. judging me and the food. So um, I have a lot of super negative statements Mm -hmm. that are stuck like glue in my brain that I've been working really hard to get rid of. And it's funny because my dad Although when he told me I said that at the time I resented it again, that resent came up. He kept saying, stop letting him rent space in your brain. Mm. And I, you know, at the time I didn't think anything of it, but now of course I totally see it. Right. But it was things like, you know, we, he, we had a lot of dinners together and, and I remember one night I was super hungry and the hamburgers were super good. So I had two. And he was like, you realize you ate the same amount of food as your brother and your father, you know? So like, there's just things like that. Yeah. Um, and it extended quite far into my adult years because it yeah. took me a while to figure out wasn't the right person. So I think for me, that's one of the hardest things for me to get over yeah. were those now intrusive thoughts that were ingrained in me at a pretty young naive, innocent, fragile stage. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so real. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. How, and I'm curious, how old were you? Do you know when that started? Yeah. I was 15 when we started dating. 
Um, we ended up getting married when I was 24. Um, and then we, we were together till I was almost 40, maybe 39. So that was years and years and years of emotional abuse that I, and there was some physical in there too, but mostly the, on the emotional side. So it's taken a lot of work to realize that this person who I loved and trusted so much really was far more insecure and was taking it all. Like I really, I didn't get that. I really thought it was just me. So um, my mother ended up having gastric bypass surgery when she was like 70 Mm -hmm. and we were still married at the time. And I remember one of the final things he said to me was, how does it feel to have a mother who weighs less than you now? So, you know, there's a lot packed into that. Yeah. So, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I'm really sorry that happened to you. Well, and I worry as mothers do. Mm. And I know I've mentioned this in group that I know my mom didn't do any of the things she did to harm me. Yeah. But now I have a daughter as well. My daughter is 25 and she recently had gastric sleeve surgery. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of guilt wrapped up in that too. Like, what did I do to screw her up? Mm -hmm. And I still just need to take care of me. Right. Yeah. And to, by taking care of me, I'm going to be taking care of her as well. Right. But you know, it takes a lot of years to gain weight. It takes a lot of years to get those thoughts in your head. And then it takes just as long or probably double to reverse all the damage. So I totally hear you. It's, it's just really real what you're saying. And I really appreciate you sharing it because I know how not alone you are in, in that, that is, you know, you're a parent and you're also a child. Mm-hmm. And, right. You're the, you're the sandwiched generation, right. In yeah. that, in that sense. So it's, it's just really true and really real. And I appreciate your vulnerability and sharing that and being so open and honest about it. Because mm-hmm. again, I think I just imagine the people who might listen to this and take a big, deep exhale yeah. to know that this is such a human, human experience, such a human condition. And I think the big thing that occurs to me while you're saying this, Catherine, is that, I mean, it sounds like you're very aware of this, but this started for you when you were 15 years old, right? And I think about, or, you know, it started before that, but, but, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to the kind of emotional abuse that, that was specifically around your relationship with food and your body. I mean, I think about, I could use myself as an example, being 15 years old, you know, it's, it's almost like all you need is one comment from someone you don't even know. Right. And that just gets buried into the back of your head for the rest of your life. And so it's just, again, really validating the experience that you had. That is not only were you 15 years old, where it is such a fragile kind of formative time in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, the repeated experience of hearing that right. over, and over and over again for years. So Well, and I haven't said this yet, but I'm a special education teacher. And one of the things that we work towards is basically if something negative slips out towards a student, we know that it's going to take at least 10 affirmations Mm -hmm. to reverse that negative statement. 
now, and I've always encouraged my team, like we're not stopping at 10, right. you know, first of all, we try and focus on all positive, but if something happens, we really need like 20 yeah. to reverse that. So like, it makes the same, it's yeah. just the, like you said, human condition right. and conditioning. Right. Right. hundred um, percent. Well said. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I mean, that goes back to the brain science of it too. That is, it's like our, and I think this is important just for everyone to know this, that is, you know, we could question, well, why is it that, you know, all of the compliments I've ever gotten in my life, I like, don't really remember, you know, like they were nice. They felt good, but like, I don't have specific memories of them. But if I think about the, the insults or the criticism and the judgment that I've received, you know, there is, there is some research or science around the number that is like, it, it is 10 times more likely to stick in the right. brain. Right. But the, the important thing about that is it's not because we are pessimistic creatures or because we like to focus on the negative. Like that's not what it is. It's actually, again, the mind body system mm-hmm. being brilliant because any of those things that felt negative or felt like an insult, well, the brain is perceiving right as danger and not yeah. safe. So the brain has to right do you a favor by mm-hmm. remembering them so that right. you know that you know this is the predator or this is the this is the unsafe space don't go back there right it's right. trying to protect you and save you and serve you it just so happens that what that turns into is a lot of kind of ruminating and catastrophizing and reliving and it doesn't feel very good mm-hmm. but that's also why that's happening so Right. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because. Right. And that's so, so true because you always remember negative experiences much more easily than the positive ones. Right. Um, So if you think back to your, to your childhood or, you know, other parts of your life, the positive ones are more, I don't know if this is true, but I was going to say for me, they're more associated with music or a certain scent in the air or a certain taste. Mm. So all those senses get connected yeah. to those positive um, memories, but the ones that stand out are the ones that make your heart go and right. your belly go, you know? Right. So right. yeah. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. Thank you. Thank so. you for sharing all that. You're such a warrior. I mean, like I already knew that, but I just, I really see that. And I'm really glad that you're here sharing this. Thank you. So, Thank you. Yeah. So, okay. That's how, that's how it was early on. And I'm curious before we even move past, you know, like 15 years old, what you've mentioned so far already is stuff that you learned from your mom, kind of watching mm-hmm. that relationship stuff that, you know, kind of infiltrated your brain with your boyfriend, ex-husband. But I'm also curious, do you remember what it was like for you in your own relationship with food at the time. Like you, you mentioned that there were times where it felt kind of out of control. Mm-hmm. You were aware that maybe you should be a different shape or size. Um, what was it like for you to, you know, eat food or look in the mirror or, you know, unrelated to anyone else? Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Well, so I was an athlete um, growing up too. So it's funny now that I say that because for the longest time, I didn't really have to think about what I was eating, even though I thought I did. Uh-huh. Um, so it was again around that 15 that I sort of stopped playing as many sports and then, and I hit puberty and you right. know, all of that happened all at once. 
Um, and so then, you know, then I started having to, to watch more. I do know that I remember certain like weird things because I did unofficially do Weight Watchers mm. through what my mom was doing. You know, I would go through all her books and I go, oh, you know, this is the plan. Cause you know, back then it was not as individualized or right. whatever. How old were you when you were kind I, of, I was that. in high school, but I can't think of okay. like probably 14. Um, because I remember taking, <laughs> this is going to really be funny, but wasa bread yeah, for those cra- crispy crackery things and putting tuna on it. I, to this day, hate tuna. <laughs> so there's things like that. that I totally remember. Right. I remember um, when my mom would cook. So again, this was when my boyfriend was over we would have like fish sticks for dinner and I would peel all the breading off the fish stick. Oh yeah. Eat the fish. Right. Yep. I also remember having a soccer game and after the game, my dad and my mom taking my friend and I to Dairy Queen regularly. Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to get at is I don't, they're looking through the pictures. That's some part of evidence looking through my memories there wasn't a big issue right, right. for me at that time. It yeah. was really, it really started, or at least it got amped up once yeah. I started dating. Yeah, I hear you. Now this might feel like a weird question, but I'm just genuinely curious. When you imagine yourself peeling all the breading off of a fish stick, I'm curious. On the spectrum from like, Eh, it's whatever. I just want to like get rid of the fried part to like, I will literally die if I eat this entire fish stick the way that it is. Where was the, that's a great question because it wasn't that I'm going to die. If I eat it all, it was so not that, and it wasn't about, I'm going to get rid of the fried part either. So what I haven't shared yet either, I forgot about this part. is so I moved just three times but in one of my moves my best friend for like four years the one I went to Hawaii with she was totally anorexic like nobody would like if she wasn't diagnosed at that point but I remember her being like 86 pounds and I was like 105 maybe or I don't even know the number I was I just knew that 86 was like so small. And I remember it was summer vacation and her like eating an apple for the day. And sadly, I remember thinking, I only wish I had that much control. Yep. So there, so there were some things, but it wasn't because I felt bad. Maybe mm-hmm. it was more because I wanted to be like her. Yep. Yeah. So, so there's a bit of that in there too, but so the fish stick thing, I think had more to do with control than I'm going to die or I just, it's not healthy. Yep. 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 Because I remember sitting there. Yeah. I can see myself at the dining room table Mm. and my boyfriend and my mother having this conversation about why I wasn't eating more and going, because I don't want it, you know, like. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way before. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I completely hear you. And I think it's so insightful 
when you say, I actually think it was more about control than mm-hmm. anything, like a mm-hmm. hundred million percent. Yeah. What's up? I was going to say, because I don't think of myself as like a need for control person. Right. But I am. Well, also and I'm starting I, to recognize it more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the kind of almost natural effect of like doing this work is becoming aware of those yeah. parts of you. But I think Catherine, I can really relate to like, not necessarily thinking of myself as such a quote unquote control freak or anything like that. But what comes up so clearly when I'm hearing you is that it's not so much a need for control. It's a need to feel safe. And that was one way that you were manufacturing a sense of safety. So I think as much as quote unquote disordered eating or any of this stuff um, is so deeply connected to a sense of control, I think that's not where the conversation ends, right? The reason that it's about control is because stripping the breading off your fish stick is something that will give you that (sighs) exhale. Yeah. And it's a feeling of safety. That is really what we're going for. You know, control is almost the tip of the iceberg in that sense. So, so yeah, so I appreciate you just in real time kind of putting that together because that's mm-hmm. exactly what that is. And then the other thing that I'm hearing so much, and I think uh, part of the reason that I love hearing your story just kind of slowed down in detail is because in so many ways, and I hate using the word like normal because like what is normal, but I think in a lot of ways, what you're talking about is a quote unquote normal childhood. Like Mm -hmm. you played sports, you didn't really have to think about eating. Your mom had a weight issue. Your boyfriend made a comment, like your friend was anorexic, right? Like how quote unquote normal are all of these components? And then you're just kind of like, I think about family systems theory in psychotherapy, where it's like everyone in the family is affecting everyone else in the family. Same thing could be said for you in the system with your boyfriend and your friend and your mom. And it's just incredible to me how this is the human condition, right? That is, we are, we are so deeply connected to some, like those three people. And then you show up at the dinner table, stripping the breading off your breadstick or your, your fish stick, because because this is just the environment and the system that you exist within. Not because, right, exactly like you said, it wasn't about the fish stick. It wasn't about this. It wasn't about that. And it wasn't even about how you felt about you. Yeah. It was seeing yourself in relation to other humans. And I think that is right. fundamentally true about so many people in their relationship with food and we don't realize it. Yeah. And actually you just brought up something that I had wanted to bring up and I hadn't thought of so just now. Yeah. So I was, there was four of us in our family. There was my mom and my dad, and I have an older brother and I want to bring this up for a reason. And I think it's Nicole has a saying and I'm going to botch it, but it's something like you're only as you're only as secure or whatever as the uh, secure person. Yeah, that's not the right thing. But basically what I'm saying is, so I have, my brother is adopted. Mm -hmm. He is like 20 some months older than I am. Uh, My parents tried to have babies for years and could never get pregnant. They adopted my brother. And as soon as the adoption came through, they got pregnant with me. Right. So there's a whole lot in my emotional reservoir about some guilt that I was a biological child and it's all, it's very subconscious. Like I, we, I, we never talked, we, sorry, we talked about it, 
And it was common knowledge that he was adopted. But I remember like as a teenager going, we were talking about my birthday and how many hours my mom was in labor or, you know, those, those stories. And I looked at her and I said, how long were you in labor with my brother? Like it was just, and then they all kind of looked at me and I was like, oh crap. Yeah. But okay. Disordered. You're only as ordered as the least, as the most disordered family member. Yeah. So my brother had a lot of trouble in that he, we were in this, like growing up in the seventies, yes, I'm old. Um, Before there was like ADHD was just starting to be talked about. Ritalin was just starting to talk about. So he was always in trouble at school. He got into fights, like all that. So I had to be the good girl. Yes. And when you mentioned the dinner table, that brought up a memory so from that age of five to 10 or, five, you know, even five to 15 yeah. and probably longer, they used to tease me because all the family arguments happened at the dinner table mm-hmm. because that was when everyone got home from work, mm-hmm. right? Got home from work, got home from school. Dad got to hear the story of the day because right. there weren't, you know, cell phones at that time to contact. And I would sit in my spot like by myself and hum like I said, they used to tease me, but I know it was really just me trying to like, leave me alone, leave me alone. I just need to be safe. Dissociate. So that um, was like a, a, a huge memory. And I will find myself now sometimes in uncomfortable situations humming and I, and I catch myself and I go, Oh yeah. Okay. I see yeah. where we are. Yes. So acknowledging it helps, but it's, it was a stable home. It was a happy home mostly, yeah. but it wasn't very safe. Right. Right. Truly. Right. Yeah. Thank you again for sharing this because I think in a lot of ways, and it's funny because I, uh, by the time we aired this episode, the other one will have also come out, but something that I was just talking about in the, the one that I just recorded alone is why it's important. And we talked about this in our group program in the curriculum with the division of responsibility, that it is the responsibility of the parent to make mealtimes pleasant. Right. Because, because of exactly what you're saying, that is, you know, and it's not even that it was a technically like logistically unsafe in that, um, you know, no, you weren't being attacked. You weren't Mm -hmm. being abused physically. Like none of those things were happening in the home, which is why for a lot of people, again, it can feel really elusive to, to start figuring out where did all of this get so disrupted and scary and stressful and emotional. And for a lot of us, it's very much that, that, that is, it was quote unquote, nothing more then dinner was the first time we all saw each other. And that's when chaos ensued. That's just how it happened. And for a lot of people, right. That is normal. That is, that's, that's just what happened at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. And, and that's okay. But what we're talking about now, and again, you know, this so deeply, what we're talking about now is what did it feel like for you as the child? Not what was it, right from right. the from the adult perspective of what is visibly going on here but mm-hmm. what was going on with a little girl sitting at the table who felt like the only way to get get through it and survive was hum your way through the meal right like yeah. that that is what we're talking about and yeah exactly and it's it's just it didn't feel safe i mean and and then on top of that 
having anyone comment on your weight, shape, size, what's, what's on your plate, how much you're eating. Right. Again, it just sends that signal that it's not safe here. And right. that's what we want to look out for and be aware of. So yeah. thank you for sharing all of that. And, and so in addition to that, like at the time, yeah, like I said, like I said, with my brother Ritalin was around, but we didn't go that route or my parents didn't go that route. They chose to do this funky like diet. And like I said, it's probably great. It, you know, it took out all the preservatives and whatever color, red number 40 <laughs> dye, whatever it is. It irritated the heck out of me because some of my favorite foods weren't available to me anymore. Yeah. And so the reason I bring that up is then, you know, I'm getting to be university age and I still lived at home, but I, you know, you have more freedom. I had a car and right. whatever. And in Canada, it's called craft dinner, but macaroni and cheese uh-huh. um, was like the world to me yeah. because I was not allowed to have it when I was growing up. Right. The more yeah. and more you think about it, there's more and more issues that come up that were innocuous at the right. time, right. you know? Right. Exactly. And to, to the point back to survival, it's like, they were so you could, you couldn't see them at the time because they were part of survival, right? They were part of the system. And Mm -hmm. I think also it's, it's, it's interesting to hear you say this too, because the same way that you said before, there were times you remember as a child feeling kind of out of control around food. Right. And, and you even said like, I don't really know why, but it's very similar is that if mom, right, is always on a diet and what's going through your head are diet restrictive thoughts from as soon as you could remember, because that's just what you were taught. Again, it's, it's almost a textbook that at some point you'll feel completely out of control around food because what happened before that was restriction, even mm-hmm. if it's just mental and emotional restriction, right? That's, that's going to be the same thing. And, and then we do right the same thing when we are in university age, the freshman 15, right? It's like, as soon as we can have that freedom, food is one of the first ways that we find pleasure and power and, and exercising that, that agency and freedom. So it's absolutely all again, really valid and makes a lot of sense. Right. Thank you for sharing. Welcome. Yeah. Anytime. So, (laughs) So, okay. So now we are university age, um, how do things go for you around food, eating chronic pain? Like how do things start to unfold in your, you know, twenties to get 30s? me to where I am now? Yeah. Well, there was emotional abuse, sexual abuse. So like all that put together made for a really kind of crappy young adulthood. I put up with a lot. Then I had my two children and I decided at that point that you know, I had a daughter and I didn't want her to go through this. So I started to like stand up for myself, which led to the ultimate demise of my marriage, which yay. I can say that now because it's been years, right? Yeah. 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 So I didn't think or really wasn't aware of a whole lot of chronic pain. I did have like plantar fasciitis for three years. And of course, the first thing they tell you when you get plantar fasciitis is if you look on the internet or go to a doctor is you, you're, you have too much weight on your body yep. or mm-hmm. you gained weight quickly or whatever. So, um, so that was years of physical therapy and feeling bad about myself because 
I had this thing. And at that point, I'm, and I don't know when this happened, but it must've been in the, like around 15 that, that BMI chart, mm-hmm. I was never in the right area, the right area on that chart. And I remember thinking to myself, at whatever weight I was, like looking at the, you know, how it had like the minimum and, and maximum yeah. for like the normal yeah. and going like, that's not even realistic for me. Uh-huh. And I'm not like a big boned person, yeah. but it just wasn't realistic. And I knew that then. Yeah. So anyway, so then yeah. I get the plantar fasciitis and then my marriage dissolves and I'm in a new country and I'm, you know, starting over. Um, and then like literally I ran into a brick wall pain wise. And I, I told you I had three years of plantar fasciitis, but then I had seven years or more. I don't, I lost track of chronic migraine every day. So that led me to a lot of different things. And I learned a lot, but I probably learned too much, right? You, cause we're that personality that, you know, yes. you want answers. So you research, 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 research. Meanwhile, I got two masters at that time too, because I needed to get, go from my part-time job to a full-time job to, so there was a lot going on at that time. And my body just said, no, we're not doing it. Somewhere in the middle of that time, I had lost like 40 pounds and was feeling pretty good about myself. And, you know, I remember this one friend saying, so what did you learn? you know, through your journey, mm-hmm. right? He was curious. And I said, I learned that I really needed far less food to survive than I thought I did, mm-hmm. which is so weird. Cause that was totally restriction. Right. And, and even though I thought it at the time, it was not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moved to California, went on a diet there, lost a lot of weight again, was doing Taibo. If you remember that, I was really good at it too. And it felt good, Uh but yeah, then, then all the rest, the pain and the marriage and everything happened. And yeah. And it sort of skyrocketed from there. So I ended up somehow through some website, finding the curable app or finding out about the curable app. And that was probably maybe spring of 2018 or 19. Okay. Okay. Give or take a year. Yeah. So, okay. So before curable, I want to also just see if, if I'm hearing this right, that is what before slash during the chronic pain onset for you, Yeah. you are, uh, losing weight gain. Like, are you yo-yo dieting at this point? Is it kind of an on off thing? Is it uh, you know, is it how much real estate in your mind is it taking up? Like how, what's your relationship with it uh, before slash during the chronic pain? Or the Yeah, that's a good question. So it's always been there. I So that's what I've kind of come to the conclusion of. It's always been there, but kind of like in the background. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't like, I didn't try every diet. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's people that are like, well, I did this one and right, I right. did this one on it. No, because what I had learned was that old Weight Watchers system and it's, it's kind of worked. So I kind of did that. Um, I always knew I needed to eat more vegetables or whatever. Yeah. 
Um, so it wasn't huge. Yeah. I know for sure the one that I went on in California was the idea of my exes. Uh, it wasn't my idea. Uh, it was like, here, I found this lady. Here's how much it costs. I'll pay for it. Yeah. I hadn't quite found myself at that point. So, and then, and then just a little later, then I did, I went back to Weight Watchers myself. Yeah. Which, and I kind of hated it. Not the, not the food or anything. I hated going to the meetings. Yeah. Why? Um, cause I didn't want to be one of them. Hmm. I didn't want to need to be at the meeting. Ah, uh, I know. I hear you. Yeah. So, and then, I, then I, you know, you either left feeling really good or you left feeling crappy. Yep. It just wasn't, it didn't feel true to me. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I hear you. And so that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And so after that, yeah. I really just was like, fuck it. <laughs> not, not the whole fuck diet culture. Cause right. I still believe in it. And I still knew that eventually I, I wanted to lose weight, but I didn't want to do it in a structured way. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. Yeah. I was going to say I wanted to lose it slowly, but I don't even know if I wanted to do that. Cause I don't know if I was in a place to feel worthy of that. Right. And then I came to you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, and then I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. I just want to be healthy. Right. Well, I think uh, I correct me if I'm wrong. I think part of what you're saying without saying it is there's something about Weight Watchers and it's not just Weight Watchers. It's, it's really anything that, that is uh, diet culture. And I think part of the reason it, it doesn't feel good is because you're not working with your system. You're working against your system. Like you're trying to control it and manipulate it and force it to be a certain way. And I think the truth is, Catherine, like I've talked to a lot of people who there's like, I think there's, there's some real truth to when you are like an intuitive person and you're somewhat in touch with your intuition, the, the practice of dieting of like just eliminating and restricting food, there's something that just doesn't feel right about it. Mm -hmm because you know, because somewhere really deep down your intuition is like, this doesn't feel mm, mm -mm," right. Like it just, it's not supportive. It's not coming from a place of trying to nourish and, and support your body. It's coming from a place of trying to change and control your body, which to the brain is never going to feel good or safe. So what you're saying is, you know, it's not necessarily about, I want to lose it fast or I want to lose it slow. But what you're talking about, I think, is that you want to team up with your body, not Mm -hmm. fight against your body. And that's just a very different way of of thinking about it, let alone approaching it in practice. But Mm -hmm. that's what I that's kind of like what I hear. Does that Mm -hmm. feel true? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I and I, you know, I tried to be more active because one because I enjoy it. Yep. But I was never one to exercise for the sake of exercise. Yeah. But if it had a purpose, yeah. Like when I I You're used to, when I first started work, I used to bike 10 miles to work and back every day. Now, in the country, and I used to bike to university and back and I loved that. 
but it was because it was a, for a purpose. I was going right. somewhere. It wasn't just like, oh, I got to go do that again. Right, right. So, so that always helped. And then, so now I have a big dog. Yeah. <laughs> and so we do a lot of walking. Yes. Um, I've discovered swimming again, which I love. Mm, and so actually cool. it's, that's what I wanted to mention early, that I said earlier. Um, one of the biggest things that I took away from the curable app yeah. was about swimming and being in a bathing suit. Yeah. And it was like, think about it. Do you think everyone else in that pool doesn't feel the same that everyone's looking at you? And do you really think that those people that are swimming their laps or drying off or whatever are really looking at you? Cause maybe they are, but who cares? You know, <laughs> people of all different shapes and sizes everywhere. So I made a deal with myself that I would just go. And no matter how hard it was, I gave myself like a time. Yeah. But I also gave myself grace in that I didn't have to swim laps that whole amount of time. Yeah. If I swam two laps and then just floated in the water for the, you know, the next 18. Yeah. Excellent. Amazing. Right. Yeah. And so I did, and I got up to, I did it through the first part of the pandemic and I'll explain why it's changed since then. But I got up to swimming like 10,000 meters a day, yeah. a time, not a day, yeah. right? Because it, it, it yeah. has so many good things. Like it's good for your body, but it's also, you know, very repetitive, very rhythmic, very um, meditative. Yes, yes. And so it does more than just your yes. physical body. Yes. Thank you. And in addition to that, yes. then you'd come home and you'd go, well, I'm not eating macaroni and cheese because yep. like I'm hungry, but like, I want to fuel my body. Yes. Yeah. So, yes. so yeah. So yes. it's all good. <laughs> Amazing. All good, Amazing. Except I don't want to share a lane with somebody because then <laughs> the competitive part of me <laughs> has to either swim faster than them or keep up with them. Right. So I know it's not good for me. And so now that the pandemic is gone to crap, I haven't been swimming as much because <laughs> I need like, I need my lane. <laughs> I so, so hear you. Okay. Yeah. So a few things I just want to point out about this because it really is fucking incredible. And, and it's a big deal because a few things, one is, as you already mentioned, what we're talking about in some ways is the quote unquote TMS personality type. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who's not familiar with what that means, it's really, you know, the personality type that is most, uh, at, uh, let's say at a high risk for things like chronic pain, uh, same could be said for quote unquote disordered eating. And what that looks like in a lot of ways is uh, perfectionism and people pleasing and being good and needing to be liked and all of that good stuff, right? The goodest. And so the reason that this is a, a big deal, and I want to highlight this is because what you're talking about is what happens around food and eating and exercise all the time. That is the biggest block to having a healthy lifestyle, having a healthy habit is the perfectionism, mm -hmm. right? So what you're talking about is exactly, is exactly how I would suggest anyone who wants to make some headway in, in their relationship with food or exercise is at a certain point, you make a deal with yourself, mm -hmm. right? That is even if, and I've done this myself, that's like, if I walk to the gym 
and I walk on the treadmill for five minutes. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yep. And like, that's it. And, and okay. So the biggest challenge there, that's not easy to do, but the big challenge there is not physical. (laughs) The big challenge there is mental because as Mm -hmm. soon as you make a deal with yourself, if I swim two laps and then I float in the pool, then fine. Right. Then your TMS personality type will mean that your perfectionist, your inadequacy will come up and say, that's nothing. That's all you're going to do. Right. It's all the things. Yeah. Right. And so it's just highlighting this because that is normal. That is valid. That is absolutely appropriate. And what you can do, taking your power back from your perfectionist looks like you make a deal with yourself that you're going to take a baby step into the gym, into the pool, into taking, into whatever it is, start with five minutes a day, start with 10 minutes a day and understand we cannot solve an emotional problem with a physical solution. The reason I say that is because when you start to trigger your own inadequacy, right? I'm not doing enough. I have to do more. Mm -hmm. That is emotional. That's not physical. So you, right, you going to the gym for longer, you swimming more laps, you doing more is not going to solve the emotional problem because it's a physical solution. Exactly. So, so beautiful example of doing that. You do that in exercise. You could do that with food. You could do that with whatever. But the thing that's so important about it is that what you're really chipping away at is your perfectionist ruling your life. What right. you're, what you're really doing is getting to the root of it where it's not about the swimming and it's not about the laps and it's not about the exercise. It's about you making a deal with yourself. That messy, imperfect action is your intention. And that starts to change your whole life. Right. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And it, and it, hap- and it happens throughout my day now. Like it's yes. <laughs> just food and eating. It's like, you know, I'm really freaking tired. Yep. I don't feel like cooking dinner tonight. So maybe that night I have, I don't know, something super quick and easy or nothing. And I sit and relax, but it's, it's listening to your body yes, and it's honoring your body and your brain and saying, it's okay. Yes. And for some reason, knocking on wood, I haven't got to the point where I go, yeah, it's okay today, but what about tomorrow? Are you going to do the same thing? Like, thankfully I have my brain hasn't gone there because I think because my end goal is always do that action whatever that action is it might be just doing the dishes right right and that brings up another whole thing that is we could talk about you know we talked about this in group the way that our quote unquote recovery from using food and eating to cope is very much like recovery from using drugs and alcohol to Mm -hmm. cope with life. Like it's all the same thing. But I think, again, you're bringing up a really important point that is one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Like that is the same in every recovery space is, you know, today you're going to get by without the drink or the drug. And the question is not, okay, but what about when you get stressed tomorrow, right? That's right. tomorrow's problem. That's tomorrow's right. question. That's for me tomorrow to handle because my responsibility is one day at a time. And it's, well, uh, yeah, it's just so big. It is. And it's funny because I was, I don't know who, who was I saying that to? So as you know, Lisa, I've been doing physical therapy for an injury to my knee and, you know, there's a whole lot of thinking that's going on around this because 
one, I don't want to give it too much attention because I don't want it to become chronic. Right. Is it chronic already? I don't know. Like going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. And somebody, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said something about having a stressful job. And I was like, I think it might've been my physical therapist. I can't remember. And I was like, I think it was a discussion with him about somebody else. And I was like, yep, I know all about this stressful jobs. I said, but it's not about changing your job. Yes. It's learning to, to deal and, and handle that stress in a way that is healthy for your body because you're ne- you're never going to find a job or a a thing anything that's not stressful but right. it's how you manage it so yes. i've been doing a whole lot of a whole lot of work in that area yeah so you're doing amazing cuz stress will kill you yeah yeah and meeting stress with fear <laughs> is even worse faster. exactly <laughs> exactly yeah Oh, amazing. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. Thanks. I'm like, proud of me you, too. Good. Do you feel like really strong and empowered when you share all of this? Cause I feel strong I do. and empowered listening to you. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the reasons I volunteered, and I think I shared this with you. One of the reasons I volunteered to do this with you is somebody contacted me through Nicole Sachs's Facebook page and said, Hey, can we talk sometime? I have some questions for you. And I was like, okay. I don't know if I can help because she had very specific questions and about something that I, a, a diagnosis that I didn't have. And I was like, sure. So we connected finally. And we probably talked for like an hour, an hour and a half. And I was like, crap, like I'm doing great. <laughs> Which was great to know because yeah, in the day to day, okay. I got another example, but in the day to day, it doesn't always feel that way. Right. So again, as a special education teacher, progress is super, super, super slow. Yeah. And so you might not recognize that, wow, this child is now actually like coming in and sitting in their desk when at the beginning of the year, they'd come in the classroom and whatever. Right. So we really work hard on celebrating the, like the really little things. Yeah. And so I think as human beings, we really have to turn our focus on the little things, like just the tiniest thing. Like, yeah, I took an extra walk today or, or I didn't feel like taking a walk and I went to bed early. Right. You know, hundred million percent. So anyway, so if that lady ever hears this podcast, (laughs) I don't even know her name anymore, but like that really shone a light on, how far I've come. Yep. Because all that time with those chronic, terrible, terrible migraines, I was, I had every injection under the sun and I would go and get like 45 Botox injections in my head and like nothing helped. I did six sessions with six different physical therapists and anyway, but all that time I was still getting up every day and going to work, right. Doing my job because I didn't have another choice. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, everything, everything you're saying is so important because especially around, this is true for both chronic pain and quote unquote disordered eating. That is when we embark on the journey to heal and feel better, 
what we're going for is an absence of pain. So it, it, it's very hard, right? When you arrive and you're right. there, it's very hard to even like notice that or reflect on that because now things are quote unquote working properly or working right. the way they should or working the way you always wanted them to. So very often it's like we heal and we heal and we heal and we get better and we get better and we get better. But because we can be such perfectionists, right? It's always this like, yeah, but I want more. Yeah, but I want more. And then once you arrive at a place where you're like, oh, wow, I haven't had a migraine in like days or like, oh, I just like ate carbs without thinking about it or whatever, whatever version of freedom you start to taste, we kind of get very like dismissive of it Mm -hmm. because it's like, well, this is the way I wanted it to be. And this is the way it should be. And that should have never happened anyway. And it's like, well, hold on. (laughs) Then we're just not you know, we're just not receiving the benefit of all the work we've done and, and ultimately the peace and freedom and safety that we've created and worked really hard for. So anything that is going to inspire you to reflect a little bit on the progress you have made and how Mm -hmm. far you have come is really important. And that's something Nicole talks about too, which is like, you know, transformation is in those little moments, those, Mm -hmm. those little, little moments. And so it's really our job as we're doing this work not just to keep chugging along and doing the work, but to also make it part of the practice to look mm-hmm. back and, and yeah. look at everything that you've done and accomplished because it's huge. Right. Well, and so as you were saying that, I was thinking like, you know how I said like the food and eating was sort of always yeah. in the background. Yeah. So it's almost harder to see yeah. the progress mm-hmm. because with chronic pain, you're like, oh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I can move this or I can do that. But with the eating part, because we always, we need to eat to live, to survive. Like, where is that barometer? Yeah. So that's, that's really hard to, to discern. Totally. Yeah. Because also I think what you're saying too, is with chronic pain, it's physical, right? Like, you know, you have a migraine or you don't, you, your back is out or it's not like, if you're, if you're in that pain, it's very in your face. You, you can barely, you know, function because it's so clear, but with our relationship with food, like you're saying the quote unquote pain is so much more mental, emotional, spiritual, social that for me, the answer to the question, like, how do, how do we build the habit of noticing it? How do we start realizing and reflecting on it? Well, we have to be really aware. Well, and I, that's what I was going to say. I said, I think I have an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Because I recently, so I would say since this knee injury in December, I've definitely felt more pain again and struggled a little more with my eating because it all goes together. (laughs) But one of the things I've noticed is for me, and it's, again, it's about the awareness, the mindfulness is I know when I'm emotional eating or when I'm trying to emotional eat because, you know, you can think of a million things that you could cook for dinner that you have in the house and nothing appeals to you. Yep. And that's when my brain goes, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> hey, maybe you're not really hungry, right? Right. And over the years, got in the habit, good or bad, doesn't matter of like treating myself if I had a journey or a long right. drive or whatever. Yeah. And one of the first times we were connecting, 
I started fostering cat kittens and I ha- it meant I had to drive from my home into Washington, DC, which I'm not, not familiar with. So it's stressful. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I'll just stop and get a coffee. I'll just stop and get a coffee. It'll make it all better. Right. And realizing I really didn't need the coffee. I wasn't thirsty. I had water with me. It was emotional. I was I trying to quell that discombobulated feeling. Yep. So, so yeah, exactly. It, it's all about awareness. Yeah, it really is. And the other thing, and I'm curious, I just, I remember you saying this at one point and you can totally feel free to say, we're not sharing this. We'll cut this right out. If you want to cut mm-hmm. it out. <laughs> that is, I remember on one of our calls in aftercare, which is just the alumni program for anyone who's gone through the group. I just remember you saying that you noticed that your pants were looser. Oh yeah. Right. You noticed that you needed smaller pants because it turns out actually you were losing weight. You weren't really right. You weren't really trying, weren't really dieting, but you're focusing on being active and creating healthy habits. And it just so happens that now your pants are looser. Right. And do you remember the conversation that happened after this? Totally. Yeah, I totally do. What I, what I remember, and I'm curious, just like, you know, how it, how it's, uh, marinated since then. But, but what I remember was when we first kind of opened up, let's call it the can of worms of like, mm-hmm. because, because anyone I think could agree whether your pants are getting tighter or your pants are getting looser. That's an emotional experience. Like that's just right. a triggering thing to go through, right. especially if you have right the whole history of ups and downs and weight loss and weight gain and all that stuff. So it's never just that you're putting your pants on. Like that's what's happening in the physical dimension, but there's Mm -hmm. always an emotional component to it. So when you and I kind of started opening up a conversation around that, what what was very interesting was that part of the question for me was, how does that make you feel, right? What's coming up emotionally? And to your kind of shock and surprise, there was some fear around it. Like Mm -hmm. it it wasn't just like, yay, celebrate. It was like, ooh, this, this actually doesn't feel safe. And what it came down to, I remember you saying this is, I don't feel worthy of this. Right. And part of the reason that I'm bringing that up is because A, it is so fucking common. And I want people to hear that. That is right. On one hand, your brain is saying, this is what I want. I want my pants to be looser. I want to be smaller. And that's really true. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that's not true. And at the same time, if there's some fear around what might happen if your pants are actually looser and if your body's actually smaller, then you might have that experience where you put your pants on and it actually causes some fear to come up. And now Mm -hmm. the reason I'm saying this is not just because it's so common, but because if you're not being mindful, if you're not taking the time and space to actually tell the truth of your emotional experience, especially because it's triggering fear, what's likely going to happen is you're going to run in the opposite direction, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to see this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to know what's going on here. Whatever. Fuck the pants. It's, and, and, and that's the way we react to fear. And that's okay. And mindfulness is everything, not just the reason I'm saying this is because it's not just the mindfulness around what's going on mentally, emotionally. It's also connecting your mindfulness to what's going on physically with your actual body, with your actual clothes, with your actual food, with your actual exercise. And I think that's where we actually have so much power is to say, this is what's going on here in the physical dimension. Oh, I actually am losing weight. 
okay, how does that make me feel emotionally? Understanding, and you know this so well at this point, Catherine, understanding that your emotions are not logical. Your emotions Mm -hmm. don't make sense. You don't have to get it. You just feel how you feel, you know? And so I think, again, there's, there's that component of it is using the mindfulness and your emotional capacity that you've built mm-hmm. and strengthened so much through this work to, to team up with what's going on in the physical dimension so that you can actually go where you want to go. Right. Well, that makes sense. It totally does. And I want to add because yeah. like you clarified something so much for me because everyone kept saying, you got to feel your feelings. You got to feel them. You can't just stuff them down. And I was like, how the fuck do you feel your feelings? Don't you just feel your feelings? Why do you have to do something? Yeah. And I remember, and it was, I think it was me. I know it was me. And I don't remember what we were talking about, but I remember like bawling and I'm sure it was around my family, but what doesn't matter. And you said, just breathe. And you took me through that whole, like, just breathe and feel where it is in your body. And, and it was like 90 seconds. Yep. Yep. And then I was like, oh, like I'm okay. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that people understand that because whatever it is, whether you're terrified or if it's around some food or whatever, whatever it is just breathe through it and feel it and make sure you just do it for like two minutes, whatever, 90 seconds, two minutes, don't time it, just do it. Because now correct me if I'm saying this wrong, but what you're doing by doing that is telling your brain that I'm not going to die. Yep. This feeling is not going to kill me. Yes. And every time you do that, your brain starts to understand that feeling of safety, right? Yes. Yes. Because that was a really abstract thing for me. Yep. And so that exercise or like, it wasn't even an exercise, but that thing, that event was really quite monumental. Yeah. I remember exactly what you're talking about. And I remember, I remember you saying that, that was that, that shifted everything. And I've had very similar experiences where I'm on, you know, I'm, I'm the one being coached or I'm the one doing this in my own therapy. And I think, uh, I'm, I'm really glad you pointed that out because again, for people, people like us who find safety in kind of living in their brain, right. And that, that is perfectionism. That is being good. It's, it's just kind of that, that hit over and over and over again. Um, it, it, it can feel almost impossible to feel actually the feeling and the energy moving through your body. And I have to say over the last few years, that is the biggest game changer. Again, not just in my coaching and in my work, but also my personal life is to start instead of, I think many of us get stuck thinking about our emotions. And I said this on, on previous episodes in, when I was talking about doing versus being like many of us, we, we exist in a state of doing because that's where we feel that sense of comfort and control because that's how we feel safe. But then when it comes to feeling feelings, if we're always doing, then we're not being. And if we're always thinking, then we're not feeling. And so it can, it can feel very much like you said, a very abstract concept when people are saying, feel your feelings, because you could stay spinning in the thoughts about your feelings in your brain all day long. And what happened in that conversation between you and I, the reason it felt so shifting and monumental 
was because all I really did was help you go from your brain into your body by asking the question, right? Where do you feel that? What does it feel like for you? What is the experience of fear like? And that's when, and then, and it can feel really scary, which is why it's really in a lot of ways helpful to have support or have someone that knows how to hold that kind of space. Yeah. But, but that's really what you're talking about is when we talk about feel the feelings, you're going to be triggered constantly, right? Life is going to be stressful. Work is going to be stressful, all of those things. But part of what we can do is really open up our body to let that energy move through. And you did make an important point. That is if you're, if you're moving into your body, the energetic lifespan of an emotion is about 90 seconds. It's about a minute and a half. Yeah, that is true. And there's, there's research to suggest that. So it's, it's having the awareness that your feelings can't kill you. That's something, I mean, I have to tell myself that constantly, if I'm going through a hard thing, there is no, (laughs) I, it's just, it never gets old. That's a reminder that we're going to need over and over and over and over and over again. It's not logical. Your feelings feel like they're going to be fatal and they're not. So knowing that you're going to survive. And if you, like you said, just breathe, I literally tell myself, like I have a mantra when I'm going through really tough times. That is, if you're breathing, you're surviving, right? You're breathing, you're surviving over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's so important. And, um, it's just, it's also just a matter of getting quiet. So you, so you have that ability to feel it. And I've been using it with my students too. You know, I have, I have a lot of different students, but one particularly, and when he is super upset, I'll just go, I'm here and you're safe. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I've been teaching him how to use all the breathing methods. Right. And so it's so cute because I don't know if you know about the five finger breathing where you trace your finger up. So you breathe in while you go up your finger and you breathe out when you go down Okay, and you breathe in and out. And so you do your whole hand. I love it. Well, I taught him that. Well, then I also taught him the humming bee breath. So when you breathe in, yeah. And when you breathe out, you, right. Yes. So he, in his teenage wisdom has combined them. Oh. And I'm like, whatever. Cause you know what? It's all good. Right. And so that whole feeling of safety and yeah. It's so important just to be quiet yes. and feel. It's incredible. It's I'm so excited I, now. I <laughs> you should be. And they are so lucky to have you because these, I mean, and the, la- the last kind of thing I want to say on this, the reason it's so important and I really appreciate you sharing it is because I think with a lot of this work and probably people who are listening to this podcast that there's, there's always that question of like, okay, I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But like, what do I do? What do right? I do? Yeah. And it feels so elusive to just be like, breathe, like breathe. Like, and it, and it's like, right. what do you mean breathe? I remember, I'll never forget this. I thought it was so funny. I was giving a presentation in a high school and I, and I had like a whole big slide of like all these different coping mechanisms and different, different ways you can, you know, whatever, work with your body. Right. And I wrote breathing. And, and I'll just never forget this, like very well-intentioned, like 14, 15 year old boy raised his hand and was like, so I'm sorry if this is a dumb question, but aren't we always breathing? Like, it's just like, it doesn't make sense, you know? And, and it's really valid that it doesn't. And that's why I really appreciate what you're saying. That is taking it again from concept to practice. That is, you're going to be triggered by something like your job or your pants 
right? And then you have a feeling and you stay present for the feeling yeah. and you breathe through it. You yeah. be quiet, you tell the truth and you move the energy through your body. And that is in a lot of ways, quote unquote, how to do it. That is the yeah. integration piece. I think we're so desperately seeking outside of use journal speak as a tool, right? It's, it's those, True. it's those moments of, but how do I feel things like all the time in real life? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so, so for me, it's the combination. Yeah of Nicole, the curable brain science, you, and then on top of it, I'm going to add the icing to the cake, which you know, I'm going to say is Danny Fagan and her, the TMS journey, which the yoga and meditation, because I didn't have a meditation practice, nor did I have a yoga practice, but I tell you the only thing that got me through last fall in my very stressful school day. Yeah was knowing, okay, when I get home at four 30, this is what I'm going to do. And it just like, you know, your stress would build, 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 build through the day. And you get home and you go, ah, yes, yes, yes. And then the more you do it, like each day, it's like, it's, I keep telling my team, I'm like, guys, (laughs) I got everything I got. And like, I don't know. There's just so many things, but like, (laughs) you guys are the best. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that a lot. And also huge plug for Danny Fagan, because I, I mean, I look forward to her listening to this, but her, all of her content is incredible. She really, really deeply knows what the fuck she's talking about in all of this. She's, you know, so, um, happy to include all of that stuff in the show notes. We'll just put them at the bottom of the episode because, uh, yeah, I mean, she's an incredible human and she, again, can really, just really knows what she's doing in this area. And she's been there like all of us. Exactly. She's been there. She's really yeah. healed through it. And I think you can, you can tell that and you can feel that in everything she produces. It's like, I mean, I remember the first time I, I was in one of her yoga classes, we set up a yoga class at the Omega retreat for mm-hmm. her. And, and I just remember listening to the way she talks. And I remember being like, this is someone that healed themselves through this. Like there, there's just, it's undeniable the way that it's delivered. So happy, happy, happy to, you know, link to that resource and, and plug the shit out of her. Um, so there's that. But the other thing that I think is important about what you're saying is in so many ways, Catherine, this is what it looks like when you are being a caring, responsive and responsible parent to the child that is your body. And that's what you're talking about is that all day you're going into this work situation, your stress is rising, 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 rising. And then most of us, right, if we're not conscious of taking care of the mind body system are like, well, whatever, that's what that's the job I signed up for. And then we go and we do all these other stressful things and we just kind of add to the reservoir overflow. But what you're saying is you found things that give you that deep exhale at the end of the day. Like I can feel it when you talk about it. And that ultimately is how we, how we do it. How do you make this a lifestyle? How do you integrate all of this? How do you take care of yourself? What is self-love? All of that, right? Is when you feel really stressed out and drained after your day, you do something that's going to fill you up, give you an exhale, give you a break, help you relax. You're taking care of yourself. And yeah. again, the, the nervous system that is not meant to be on high alert all day long. 
That's so exactly. Huge. And I, I also find myself even during the day. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> just close my eyes and take yep. a minute. And I will say, guys, yep. I got to take a minute. Yes. And just breathe for a minute. And mm-hmm. then I'll have people breathing with me yeah. and I'm, and I won't say anything, but they just know. Yeah. And so I love it. Yeah. It's, but it's so good. Yeah. So, and you're right. It's all about that balance Yep. because your, your scales are, wait, were we talking, we were talking about the pendulum last time, right? Yep. Yep. And it's, it's like, how close to that center can I be? And I'm sorry for those that don't know about the pendulum, but you got to listen to more podcasts because it's awesome. (laughs) And, and those are the things that make you sway a little bit back and forth and get you closer and closer to that center and that balance. Exactly. So plug for the pendulum. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Catherine, do do you hear, do you hear how like epic you are in all this? Do you, do you, do you see how much you've done? I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. You feel it because, it's because hard. Again, it is really hard, but again, it's like the, what, what on some level is like, Oh, that's like a minor thing. I just like take a deep breath in the middle of the day. It's not because you need to have the awareness and the mindfulness that you even need a deep breath, right? So you've connected to your body enough to even know that your system is getting to that place. It needs a little bit of a release. You are aware and mindful of how you can give that to yourself. And then you actually go so far as to set a boundary and say to the people that you're with, pause, I need to self-care for a moment. Mm-hmm. And then you do it. <laughs> it's just like, they're not little things because all every part of that requires yeah. a whole, literally a, a raise of consciousness, thinking about your human body, your human experience and, and self-care and self-love in a very different, like radical way. And so- yeah. Why for me, I, I mean, I always just enjoy being able to like reflect back to you the power that you have and how you've used it and the strength that you are embodying every day, because they're not small things. Like they're just not, you know? So- well, it's funny. Cause, um, I don't know when this is going to come out, but I'm going to attend the, what is it, the retreat Yeah, on the eighth. Yeah. Yes. And I had to take the day off to do it yes. right? to get there on time. <laughs> And so I had to tell my team, I'm like, guys, I'm taking the day off, but this is what I'm doing. And they're like, oh, okay, you can go as long as you come back and teach us everything. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'll share some ideas. <laughs> so amazing. I'm yeah. so happy. I know I get to yeah. like hug you and like, oh, so excited. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Okay. So I, I have no doubt that you and I could literally sit here forever. There's a, I, I have a million more questions for you. So what that means is you'll come back if that's okay with you. Sure. <laughs> um, but just for the sake of time in, you know, with the intention of just kind of wrapping up, I think you've shared, you shared an incredible amount. Um, but I'm curious if there's anything, anything just kind of like lingering on your heart or your mind that feels really important that you want to share before we go? Um, so I think one of the things we didn't really touch on a whole lot, Yeah, it was there, but it wasn't really drilled in was a lot of this is about healing things from our past, whether it was our childhood past or our young adult past or whatever, but you know, we need to take care of that inner child within us and be a partner to it. Yes. Now you, you, you say to parents that inner child, 
And it's so true. I had a hard time conceptualizing that inner child, Mm -hmm. but it's becoming more and more clear to me lately. And that's one of the reasons I was looking back in my photo album because that helps. But the other thing that I, you know, some people have spoken about is, you know, the inside out movie and all the little emotions inside. That's kind of like your inner child in there too. So I think that it's super important that people are open to hearing about the inner child dialogue. Because as weird and wonderful and woohoo that it sounds, I think it's really important to this whole process. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I actually, so Catherine, you did the group a year ago. Inside Out is now part of the curriculum. Oh, good. I'm glad. (laughs) For that reason, because I like to say, and it actually has come up a bunch in the group that I'm with right now, that is, it can be really hard to conceptualize, connect with the inner child, right? A lot of the time it's like, I'm a fully grown adult. I don't know what you mean that I have a child inside. Like that doesn't make sense. And I think part of the reason, like, I love the way you connected to inside out. Um, if you haven't seen that movie, major plug for that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but But the reason I love that is because the way that I talk about the inner child is we don't have to worry so much about conceptualizing a child. We just really have to understand that we have the same emotions and we have the same experience as a child. So it's really instead of, because I think what happens is that when we grow up, right, we have the expectation that like, I just won't feel things anymore. Yeah. Like I had emotions because I was a child. Now I don't have emotions because I am an adult. And so the whole, po- the whole point of the inner child is that's actually not the way it works. Like that's just not the way that being a human works. Your sadness today is the same sadness you had when you were a child. You just don't feel safe to express it, right? So I love that you just said that because if the inner child, quote unquote, doesn't resonate so much, what we're saying is you have emotions, you have feelings. Yeah. Right. There's a part of you that's vulnerable. That's all we're. That's what I was just going to say vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's it. Yeah. So good. Because it allows you to connect with those emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And if you haven't seen that movie, highly recommend because part two is coming out. Do you know that inside out too? Oh no, I didn't know that. Oh my God. I can't wait. Yeah. Riley's a teenager. She like goes through puberty. Oh, (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) I know. Right. I know. Oh, okay. I, like I said, could literally talk to you forever. Um, you're going to come back. We, I feel like we didn't even talk about group. There's so many. No, things I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, there's, there's just so many over the place. It's all good. It's really, really all good. I love it. I think a lot of this was extremely valuable. So good. thank you so, so much for being here. I am so fucking proud of you. I am Thanks. so fucking proud of you. I, I, it's so well-deserved. Like, it's incredible to watch you and be a part of this. And I love that I get to, again, just like support you in it because I see your evolution and unfolding and all of it. And it just honestly keeps getting better and better. So, well, and it's, and in the group, let's bring the group in. It's like, we can see it in everyone. Yeah. Right. Cause we start out together on this journey and we know that one person doesn't like icebreakers or we know that whatever (laughs) shout out without your name. Right. (laughs) But you know, like we see the growth there. And so we're like lifting each other up, which is what we need to do in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, like 
honest, honest plug for my own people, but this is my favorite community in the whole wide world. It's honestly the greatest. So yeah. Thank you. Yay. Thank All right. Well, we'll see you in, in two weeks. I know. I one can't week. wait. A week. One week? One it's a week. week. It's one week. week. I know. So excited. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks You're for amazing. having me. Oh my and God. I- such a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that resonated with you. As always, my friend, if you have any questions, if you need anything from me, always feel free to be in touch. Lisa at lisaschlossberg.com. Please feel free to slide into my email any day. And lastly, well, here's two things. One is if you haven't yet rated, reviewed, or subscribed to the pod, please feel free to do that. And lastly, lastly, we are hosting the Out of the Cave and Into Your Power retreat for the first time in San Diego, September 30th to October 2nd. We are about halfway booked already. So if you are interested in joining us in real time and enjoying some of this work in real life, please visit the website outofthecave.health slash retreat. I will see you next week. I love you so much. Mm